On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about different automation tools for control programming, how do programmers remain relevant, and what is the future of AV programming. That and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A state of control. This is State of Control, episode 29, Game of Code, recorded November 16th, 2016. Welcome to A State of Control, an aviation podcast that highlights the control, automation, and programming aspects of the audiovisual industry. I'm your host today, Steve Greenblatt. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we have another exciting show planned for you today, and, and this episode is a follow-up show which uh, talks about automated programming tools that programming companies have developed in the industry to in response to the needs and de- demands that have been identified. And uh, with me to discuss this uh, important topic are some of the members of companies who have developed these tools. And uh, I'll get to them in a moment, but first let me introduce our sidekick and favorite uncle, Uncle Richie Fragosa. How are you today, Rich? I'm doing good. Everybody's favorite Uncle Richie is in the house. Mellow West Coast greetings. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank of you. course, Rich is from Fragosa Design. Um, next, we'll talk to introduce Patrick Murray. Patrick was uh, on a previous show and we welcome him back. He's from Control House Systems Design. He comes all the way to us from Germany. How are you today, Patrick? I'm doing good. Thanks, Steve. You know, I'm a long way away, so if the internet connection isn't that good, uh, you know why. You got it. Thank goodness for the internet. And uh, next, another uh, returning guest is Troy Morgan from Pantech Design. How are you today, Troy? Doing well, guys. Thanks for uh, inviting me again. Last show was great, so I'm sure this will be just as good. Great. Thanks Thanks for being here. And lastly, a newcomer uh, to the show, but not to the industry. I'm sure we're going to give him a warm welcome. His name is Wes Hatchett from Adelite. How are you today, Wes? Thanks for joining us. Doing great. Thank you. I've always enjoyed listening to the podcast and really excited to be a part of it today. Great. Now, at least we know somebody listens. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We, we look forward to having you. <laughs> we look forward to, to having you part of the show. Um, so back in episode 22, which was in last December, uh, we had Patrick and Troy on the show, and we discussed different software solutions to simplify programming. And recently in episode 26, which was in August, we had uh, John Pavlik from Crestron on, and we talked about some of the no programming required solutions. And uh, so, Rich, I'm going to open this up with you um, We've talked about this quite a bit, and we, we all agree that a programmer's role is not going away. But how do these types of things impact the future of programmers? And should programming companies be thinking about different types of offerings moving forward? Um, I, again, we were just talking about this off air before we started. I think it's great. Um, I, I think that because of the changing landscape of what we're doing as an industry, um, just because of what we're seeing in the residential market, we're seeing in the commercial market, um, there are going to be more inroads available for generating income. Um, 
And, and to do that, there's going to be a couple of different routes. There's the traditional programmer route who is still providing custom services. And we were just talking about it earlier, but can only do so many projects at a time. Um, then there is the other side, which is a company that maybe has their own in-house programming staff and they have their own method, their methodology of deploying projects and they're going to kind of keep doing what they're doing. But there is this bubble right now in the middle, which is potentially, and I think it speaks more to integrators at times than the programming companies, where an integrator, a newer integrator, or a smaller integrator um, may not have senior programming staff or programming staff at all. And it gives them an opportunity to reach out to companies who are providing solutions like this to be able to bring in somewhat some in-house solutions that don't require necessarily a software developer on staff. Um, I think there's a lot of inroads and a lot of opportunity for these type of companies to, to start existing. And I think that the companies in our industry start have, get, get to make a choice. Um, they can continue down the road that they're, the, the road that they're at. Um, and if it's a profitable road, stick with it because again there are some types of projects that are never going to go away um, the other side though is you know the the lower end project is being looked at from a manufacturer standpoint and not even lower end but some of the more simplified projects um, are being looked at from the manufacturer standpoint where the manufacturers are putting out frameworks or configurable systems that are built into their hardware themselves and then we've got this middle um, and kind of that middle ground where everything's up for grabs right now um, you have the established companies, the traditional companies, and now we have this new market segment, which is we can provide some services that bridge the gap that maybe the manufacturer doesn't provide, but you also don't want to contract a programmer for a one-off solution. Um, I think it's great, and, and we were talking about it before, is that it provides an opportunity for um, a rising tide to lift everybody up because there's the potential for increased competition, and there's tons of work out there. <laughs> I would agree with that, and that, and and I think that one of the things that's important to note and and is the shortage of programmers. And and to your point, I think that the importance of having a tool to allow you to make your programmers more efficient is is certainly, I think, going to be well received by the market. Absolutely. I mean, every company the you're always looking for better, stronger, faster, more profitable, more consistent, and that's always been the Achilles' heel of our industry is where does consistency come from? Um, it, it's not necessarily come from the manufacturer because they've given us these tools. Um, so it's been depended upon for the past 25 years, whoever's been deploying these software tools. And that's technically, I mean, it, traditionally it's always been the gripe, is that you could go to two different buildings that both have the same manufacturer's automation controllers and they can be worlds apart from one another. And so that's, you know, this is the opportunity for us to all kind of come together in, in that respect. Sure. So, so Troy, I'm going to throw this over to you. And in, in, in creating this type of solution, and, and, and it, it has to be a big investment, and it's also something that uh, is probably going to be somewhat of a, of a shift in business model. Is this something that you saw as an opportunity or do you see this as being a necessity where, where the, the demand said we, we need something like this and, and, and it, it forced you to, to create it, you know, um, how, how do you go about, um, because it's obviously uh, different types of resources and, and is it, and it's something that is, uh, is, is a costly venture, I'm sure. It is, but it, um, it was required, I think, uh, to to do what we need to do. And 
And right now our industry is kind of, it, it's, it was, it's been stagnant. Uh, let me say it like, like that. It's been stagnant for many years. Uh, and it wasn't until the iPhone hit us and we all went, oh my goodness, the expectation is way higher. Um, and then we had some other manufacturers creating some pretty cool tools. Uh, and those tools have now become more mainstream and almost a requirement. So I, I think from a, a standpoint of relevancy, a, a necessary move. Now, is it is it necessary to use these tools? No, it's not. You can program one-off systems and, 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 and you're fine doing that. Uh, however, something that 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 missed that you're missing by doing that is you never actually get to refine uh, software. In fact, just before the show, we were uh, what we're using right here, uh, Google Hangouts, and it has a little a little glitch. There was a change made. Well, those things occur because of the refinement. And until you have an architecture, until you have something that you can build upon, um, you are going to spin your wheels a little bit. Uh, and, and, and it's kind of wasted time and money, in, in my opinion. So I've always wanted to do here, but the tools didn't allow for it back then, and the industry didn't require it as much. Well, today, absolutely necessary, because that's what it, it, it's what the integrators need to be profitable, and, and, and it's what the end users want to have the best feature set and those kind of things. You have to do a building block or else you're never going to get there. And at the fast pace that, that technology is moving right now, without having a foundation or an architecture that you can truly build on, um, it's gonna be tough for you. So I, I, I see it as a, a little bit more of a necessity uh, than just another way to do it. Agreed, and, and I and appreciate that. I, I um, and and I guess to to follow up is this something that you feel that the necessity is from your side, where it it's a, a business side uh, decision, or is it more of a necessity for the demand of the customer? I I think if you look at it from all angles, you look at it from the standpoint of of our business as a small company doing what we do. Um, I believe it was necessary to to transcend or get get beyond uh, the average and and really try to shine as a company. I think that was that was a uh, uh, important and, and also to to transition from being just a service provider to now being and this is a really important part a, a software manufacturer requirement mm -hmm. put on you. So yeah, I think it was necessary for our business, but I also think that the industry, um, I mean, the, it, it was very clear uh, how quickly uh, some of the other companies that popped up around some of the big boys uh, were able to, to get market share. That, that, that became very clear to all of us that, that, that these types of tools, these configurable type systems and things like that are much more necessary than we gave credit to. Mm -hmm. You know, without removing the, the ability to do what we wanna do. And, and so along, with, along those lines, when it comes to programming, the thing I love, and I, I love what you said earlier, programming is not going to go away. It's interesting as we look at our industry and we realize that in order to get rid of programming, we have to program to do it. It takes programmers to get rid of programming. And so you have to decide what, what side of the fence do you want to be on? Do you want to be on, on the side where you're, you're programming 
tools and ways that people can be more efficient and whatever? Or are you going to be on the side of uh, creating these beautiful, huge, one-off kind of custom things? Um, I, I think it's going to be a challenge for any small company like ours to support both. Mm-hmm. So, so Wes, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Um, when you're looking at developing a product and when you're looking at uh, the, the the talent that you need, obviously they there you need to be able to have somebody who understands systems and and AAV and 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 there's a, there's there's a certain requirement there and in terms of knowing how to satisfy the user but from a production from, from a, a uh, the standpoint of actually creating this it, are, are you looking at develop developers versus control programmers and 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 what what how, how has this changed uh, the, the approach that you've taken yeah it's really interesting because the, the question like rich mentioned is there an overall shortage of programmers? And if you look at the broad landscape outside of the industry, there's no shortage of software developers, but the difference is a lot of the places that we've trained and come from inside the industry have been proprietary, have been inside of manufacturer platforms that may or may not allow a lot of expression from the programmer. But now we're seeing Crestron, for example, C-sharp has been a huge deal for years, you know, and and we're still exploring what is that going to unlock, but more importantly, who is it going to unlock? And what I've seen is that it is, they're very different things. It's difficult to take someone who's a pure software developer who may have a really good concept of algorithms and structured code and a lot of the things we're talking about, but doesn't know anything about AV systems, doesn't understand the system design, and it becomes difficult to merge those worlds. I think that's also part of, of where we're headed. We're, some of us here are working inside of platforms that do allow a lot of expression. And so we are able to set up systems and frameworks that help other people build in the way that we've envisioned. But then you look at some manufacturers that have completely locked that down and said, eh, we don't trust anyone to touch that. And uh, that limits where it can go in the market. But I think they're different programmers. And so I, as I've looked at training people and you know, what does it take, it's difficult because many times I have conversations with extremely intelligent people who are better software developers than me, but in a 15 minute conversation, I can understand there's no way to get this 15 year skill set in them. It's different. They've, they've never seen a baud rate. Sure. And uh, so, so Patrick, uh, just to kind of, wrap up the, this, this topic, the, the, I, I know that your approach has been a little bit different where you where to, to, um, to, to Troy's point about the whole iPhone and being in the iOS world. I, and I, I think that, that you have, uh, really looked to leverage that and go a little bit outside of the, the norm of, of the, uh, of the AV control system a bit. How, how did you come come about that that decision and and is that something that you feel was a big shift in needed to be a big shift in your focus uh yeah so it started with basically a natural curiosity and um i had a normal project and i decided hey i'm going to see if this works and it worked really good and the mindset kind of was a little bit inspired by rich talking about av programmers seeing themselves as software developers and looking around the web and talking and 
interacting with software developers, they don't choose one platform. A, a good software developer is versed in many different programming languages. Every year or so, they'll learn a new language. So picking from that broad palette, why, why not just write an app? If everything's on the network anyway, of course, you can do that. And I think it's kind of a habit the way we design our systems. It's not good or bad. It's appropriate at certain times, but there are a lot of other applications and platforms and ways of doing things. And um, they work just as well as our, our, um, our I don't want to say old way, but the way we're accustomed to doing things. Sure. Um, so, Rich, back, back to you. <laughs> we, so, we've, uh, we, we've talked about the fact that, that there's a place for this in the industry. We've talked about the fact that, that programmers, um, are there's a shortage and, and that, that we need to be able to find efficient solutions to solve our problems. And, and in, the, in the past on, on the show, we've talked about the, the role of a programmer changing. What, what do, do programmers need to be doing to, to maintain their relevance and, and how, because th this is a significant shift and, and, uh, and I think you kind of need to choose which side of the fence you want to be on. Do you want to be doing the custom programming or do you want to be doing the, the software development? Um, what, I mean, speak to me a little bit about the, uh, about, about that decision process. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, it's it's the same dilemma I think that the industry as a whole is facing. Um, what's funny is that when Troy was talking about, um, you know, some of the different ways of doing things and different approaches, uh, the first thing that popped in my head is the web browser. Um, you know, the you know HTML is kind of the the framework for everything that's built, but yet there's 15 different browsers that are out there, and there's large browsers that are supported across by the manufacturers, and then there's more tweaky ones that are in between. But a browser is still a browser. It was just a different approach and a different expression to solving the same problem. And, and I was thinking about, sorry, Rich, I, I was thinking about the web as well. I'll just throw in real quick because I think you're on a great point, is that 15 years ago, a great website was written in Notepad, and that was the expectation. But there are hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of web frameworks. And even you start looking at WordPress, uh, which is a platform. There are companies that only do WordPress plugins and do really well. So the, the web is a great ecosystem, I think, that's shown how something can really explode. Right. And, and everyone and, has a web browser in their pocket. Right. And, and, and you know, again, I have been, you know, I, I've been that guy like in Parliament banging my shoe on the floor going mobile, 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 mobile. <laughs> um, Again, it's, and I've been on record for years going that we as an industry are 15 years behind the overall, um, uh, the overall tech ecosystem. But uh, do again, we have to be rich? That's my point is that the gap is starting to close finally. Um, but we're still behind. And again, I live right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And, you know, my wife teaches entrepreneurship. Um, you know, all across the Bay Area to high school students and, and to middle schoolers. We have 12-year-olds who are doing um, hackathons, 12 years old, <laughs> um, you know, that are creating apps out of nowhere that are solving problems. That is, the, that is the direction that we're going in. That is where our industry needs to go. And the beauty of that is it's the Wild West, baby. It really is. Um, as an established company, that's a scary, scary thing. As a newcomer, it's 
it's tons of opportunity. And I think that was one of the points and, and what impressed me. And I, I met Patrick, what, two years ago? I think it was CD, yeah, two, or two three, years ago. Yeah, probably. two or three years ago. That impressed me about Patrick because he went, I've got a, a different idea. And I went, holy cow. It was it was so obvious that it was just it was brilliant in that. Well, that's just it. The barrier. I mean, all you need is a, an Internet connection and you could try these things out. You could learn these new technologies. The barrier to entry is just so low. And I really I don't think you have to choose. Just today I was at a big Crestron project and tomorrow I'll be developing something in a web browser. I, I really think that's a, a bad habit that we've developed is saying you have to choose this way or that way. You, you don't. They're just solutions. And our market is growing. AV is growing. There's displays everywhere, which means you'll have different types of customers with different types of needs. So why not use different types of tools to uh, offer them the best you can? All right. And what I enjoy right now about the panel, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of point out the three of you guys. And what I love about what we have here is this is a perfect example of three different philosophies. And I, I'm the fourth, but you know, I'm Uncle Richie. I'm always going to do it different. Uh, <laughs> you know, but Patrick took one approach. Um, you know, Troy came in and and I want to say, and I, I don't I don't want to misspeak here, but if I remember correctly, Troy, that Adapt kind of came out of the inspiration of a large project that you were working on and some tools that you were developing at some point. And then it kind of morphed from there and went, whoa, this is something that we can really glom onto. Um, but, you know, the, Troy's approach is he created a sandbox within the greater sandbox of the manufacturer's, manufacturer's ecosystem and said, rather than doing the low level grunt work and, you know, assigning devices and this, that and the other thing, we're going to reduce that friction level for you. And we have a sandbox and our own ecosystem that we feel is going to meet most integrators needs and again primarily in the residential is what i've seen adapt go towards i'm sure it does commercial and everything else but you know the focus has been so far from what i see and then um you know what impressed me about wes's approach is it, it was also that and it was here's a sandbox within a sandbox and we also have this concept of an open source model much like you know the collaborative efforts where you know again is we have a great idea but there are potentially thousands of other great ideas that can be incorporated into this as well. So then, you know, in the true Git, you know, philosophy, hey, let's all get together. You know, it's like, let's put the band together, you know, and, and that's approach. And all three are equally valid. That's the beauty of it. Um, and what you were talking about earlier towards, you know, how can companies, you know, how companies are faced at a crossroads. I don't see it that way. I see that opportunity. I see that you have three distinct philosophies that are all profitable, that all have the ability to grow, that all have the ability to make inroads in the company, you have to, as a company and with your personnel and with your framework, and also within your business goals, decide who, how do I want to operate? You know, you've got me who is, I am still of the bespoke tradition. That's what I do best. I know that. I'm not going to have a hundred people on staff. That is not what's best for my company or for my lifestyle. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my pocket. That works for me. That is one approach. Patrick's is another approach, Troy's is another, Wes's is another. As a company though, as a software, if you are strictly a contract programmer, if you are strictly a, um, you know, a programming house, that is a decision of how are you gonna grow up as a company. As an integrator, it becomes which philosophy best matches my needs. And, and so I, I guess I'm excited about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have these three fellows on for that reason, because it's opening up. And that's really the whole purpose of from the tech industry 
new ideas are constantly coming in every day. It's time for our industry to start working the same way. Yeah, so one thing I want to touch on that Wes said uh, earlier that I think is, is extremely valuable. When he was talking about uh, training somebody or, or having that 15-minute conversation and knowing in that short period of time that, man, this guy is amazing. You know, and, and so our industry being this interesting exception, if you will, that, that not a whole lot of people understand. Uh, it, it, and that gap is it is being bridged, but it, it's not being bridged by by people coming out of college and just knowing more. Bridged by guys like we have here, uh, who are learning the other side uh, of things as well. So you know, I've been an AV programmer for many many years. I learned software through that through those channels. But guess what? Now. I have conversations with real developers uh, about real challenges and, and things that we've got to be looking at, not today, but in three years from now or two years from now. And, and, and so back to that bridging the gap uh, statement, I, I think that's a very poignant part of this whole challenge we have as an industry is that we've got to figure out how to start communicating uh, with those type of developers and bringing them into the fold a little bit more. Restaurant and, and the other manufacturers have this exact same challenge too. Uh, they've got to have uh, these people developing these cloud solutions for their products and, and these people have to learn their products, but also we as an industry have to reach out and we got to learn about the other side. And that once that gap is, is, is bridged and once it gets smaller, I think that's when we're going to see uh, an explosion of not only tools, but, but devices working and playing a lot nicer. And I don't think it's IoT that's gonna necessarily get us there, but I think it's, it's the people that are gonna choose to understand the intricacies of the device at the device level that are gonna then choose to, to, to move into our space a little bit better. IP is helping them. So. The key to that will be standards. Absolutely. Um, when I talk when to I software, talk developers software developers and, and explain the way, explain the way things, we do, things we do, they get a little nervous because there are no standards. Is the audio okay? Yeah. So the key will really be standards. And um, it may even have to come from manufacturers adopting IoT type standards. There's like MQTT where you know, power on is just power on. It doesn't matter what kind of device or from what manufacturer. So if you will really need to get those things sorted out before that gap has any chance of being closed, I think. And then the talent will come in because it'll be easy for everyone to understand. Oh, there's a standard for that. Now I get it. And as far as learning AV, yeah, they don't get it at first, but if you break it down into small enough pieces and give them a little time, the light bulb does go off eventually, I found. So, so uh, I'll, I'll throw this out there to you, Wes. Uh, what, what role does the, do the manufacturers play in all of this? Because I, I think that you guys are onto something. Obviously, there's a, there, there's a need that you're fulfilling. And I think that we'd all agree that there's a big uh, shortage of talent and everybody in the industry is suffering from that. And this, to me, I, I love the idea of bridging the gap. How, how do the manufacturers uh, come into play here? I think like Rich said er, early on, some of the smaller systems out there like Sonos, 
I look at what someone can do today, just plugging in a few Sonos connects and using that app and maybe using a, a few of the integration tie-ins. And it's significantly beyond some of the stuff we were custom programming 10 years ago. So that's the march of technology, making things better in as simple way as possible. So I think the manufacturers have to develop tools, but it's a fine line because if you look at something like control four, which doesn't allow for there's a, there's a essentially a driver marketplace, but there's not a market for someone like Troy or someone like rich or Patrick to come in and reimagine and reinvent what that platform is doing. So it, you know, it does what it does. Um, I think the manufacturers that promote a more open architecture, like you say, you've got to understand how to play inside the sandbox. And that's been one of the criticisms over time is did people have too much freedom? And were there people programming systems that arguably shouldn't have been, or they got in over their heads very quickly. And we've seen all of that. Um, at the same time, I think the manufacturers will continue to develop tools, but look at the Silicon Valley model third parties have a very strong place. And there's a, like Rich said, a lot of different philosophies to this. So I don't think that manufacturers are by any means, it's not on their shoulders uh, entirely. You know, they, and I, I think working with companies that are in the field, especially, and have seen these, you know, our frameworks and our programming, <clears throat> excuse me, if we went back over enough time, most of those at some point in time were codenamed to client names. And eventually it became a 1.0, you know, more generic thing. And that's where a lot of it's learned. And I, I think that's valuable as well is as a third party, we can also walk that line between developing software products, but still working in the field and staying connected and seeing what the real problems are and not just resting on our laurels of, well, here's a tool. Let's, let's see where it gets us. Sure. And, and uh, while I have you, I, I, I want to see if you want to comment on the open source side of things as, as Rich had brought out. I think that, that that'd be an important thing to share with everyone. Yeah, the open source model, it was something when we started our company, we had come from a web background and we saw the way that was evolving and we saw we believed in the freedom and we believed in not that you were just giving something away, but that you were actually opening up an, an opportunity for other people to get involved and reimagine again, you know, sandbox inside of a sandbox, what they wanted to do with it. Um, we saw the models of Linux and Ubuntu and all of those things starting up and saying, wow, they're making all of their money and support. And by offering a free product that people really like, and can jump into and say, hey, I love what I'm seeing. Now I don't have time to put it together. Can you help? Because none of this, you were, the nature of the whole podcast here is you know, automated programming tools. And like Troy said, it, we don't have artificial intelligence to make that happen. So if any, of this, if any of these products were such that we could just snap our fingers and send out the final invoice and get paid, we would, we would you know, have a really easy job to do. But the reality is, any of these solutions take an effort. And I also think that's, there may be a tendency for some people to look at it and say, well, if you could be a software development house and that really scales, I mean, that's where you would want to be. At the same time, there's a lot of opportunity in the field for someone who has all that experience and says more solutions than ever, but people are also more confused than ever. 
and I'm going to be someone who focuses on bringing projects across the finish line. So I, I just think there's a lot of room and we see open source as a part of that so that uh, people understand we're not trying to lock them in and we're not trying to tell them exactly how to perceive a system. We, we want them to explore it. Sure. So uh, I, we're, we're getting close on time. So I, I just want to wrap up with that. Uh, just a, a quick um, uh, prediction. Where, where do you guys see things moving forward? Uh, and and how, do you, how do you see the industry changing in terms of what you, you see the demands being and, and how this is going to affect your direction uh, of, of your products and, 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 and businesses? Um, Troy, I'll, I'll start with you on that. Yeah, so I think, um, I think what we're starting to see is a shift in how people um, work with their technology and, and what they're requiring of the technology. Uh, you saw the big, you know, uh, VUID, voice user inter interface development kind of thing start to happen. And, you know, we're seeing the Alexa stuff and Google Home and, and those types of things. I, I think that's where the industry is going to drive us a little bit. But, but for us uh, personally, we, we kind of recognize that that's just another way in, so to speak. It's just another way to control a bunch of things. And while there've been people who've got the front end taken care of, we definitely still have to have tools and, and, and things for the back end in order to uh, connect all these things together. Um, I also think that when it comes to the voice control stuff, you're going to need a lot more information when you can tell your house or your building or whatever to do a bunch of things, you're going to need some way to see all that. And so I think that, that, uh, gathering of data and information and, and supplying that data and information to the end user in a, in a, an easy way is another kind of Avenue or another place that, that our industry needs to go in terms of, uh, empowering the, the end user the requirements that they've put on uh, us through the developments that other large companies like Google and, and, and Apple have, have done. I mean, it's just, it's immense what, what, the, what they want now. And so we're going to be challenged with bringing those, uh, those types of things to the table. And I think we're going to be the only ones uh, who are going to be able to do that. And that goes back to the statement I made about, uh, an architecture and how important an architecture is because without that you don't have the building blocks you don't have the the, the the possibility of refinement and snapping things in so the big question how good did we do today or how good did we do two years ago three years ago when we when we put this architecture together and and i think that's going to determine a lot of what we as a company and, and other companies are going to be capable of in the future patrick what are you keeping your eye on for changes? You know, Steve, I really wonder if longer term, we're going to see a move from proprietary based solutions to more standard based solutions. And that just comes from looking around and seeing everything is moving to the network. So pretty soon, a matrix switcher will just be replaced by a network switch. And then you have encoders and decoders. Well, maybe that decoder will be built into the display. And that's one less black, black box that we have to sell. And why do I need an encoder if my laptop, mobile phone, and tablet are already on the network? So in that kind of a world, that black box control processor 
kind of looks a little out of place. And I could really imagine in that kind of a design where control just becomes an application running on a server. And then why not use standard-based uh, programming languages that, that are out there today? So looking to the future, why not dip your toe in there? Because everything's becoming softwareitized, And you don't need to wait for a manufacturer to give you the tools anymore. You, you just use Google. So why wait? <laughs> Wes, what, what, uh, where do you see things headed and, and how have you, are you preparing for, for what the future looks like uh, in your eyes? Well, I love the Steve Jobs quote that if you don't cannibalize yourself, someone else will. So number one, that's how we look at our company and every day and our team is, are we continuing to learn? Are we continuing to push the edge of what we're doing? Are we listening to our customers and making sure that we're making them happy? But I'll echo, echo Patrick's point. I think one of the things you'll see is more JavaScript. Uh, that's where the big players have really focused. And if you look at languages across the board now, both in terms of optimization and efficiency and performance, Apple and Google and Amazon, they all have such a stake in JavaScript. And it's an unbelievable what JavaScript's doing now, even versus you know a few years ago. So I, I think that you're going to see that. And I think that that is going to be part of bridging that gap, especially in AVIT. That would be my JavaScript prediction. So, so Rich, I'll, I'll wrap it up with you. What, what do you uh, what, what do you see? I'm, I'm sure you're not short on predictions. No, I'm not. Um, it's interesting. Again, like I said, I, I think it brings up more questions than it answers sometimes. But so I'll, I'll relate a quick story. Um, so a one of the things that's happening is we're seeing finally um, the introduction of APIs and SDKs. Right, software development kits and APIs. We have we have the endpoints are saying, okay, here's the way that you can control us. Now, we're still trying to bridge that gap where some of them are closed, where it's only between, you know, say a company like Sono says we're only going to deal with the manufacturers to release this. You are the only ones who can access this after a very lengthy negotiation period. Here you go, but you can't show this to anybody else. All right. Then you have other companies um, where you know, like in between, Alexa is providing what they're calling their skill set which they're saying, okay, we're talking with manufacturers, um, and we have these all other versions that there's maybe some for the hobbyists, there's maybe some for the sandbox companies, but you now have access to it where you don't necessarily have to go through the control processor. You can work your way around. There's a perfect example is a lot of people are using what's called IFTT, if this, if this then that, right? And there's a lot of skill sets that are using that for Alexa. So, you know, again, the major control companies aren't the only, aren't the only ones who are saying we can speak to Alexa. Basically, there's every software company out there who has an idea who can get access to the API says, hey, we have a solution. Then you have the third one, which is interesting, and this just happened to me yesterday. So there's a manufacturer that I work with that released an SDK, and I, I can't go into the details of the SDK, but the, the functions within that SDK allow us to access things that we haven't been able to access for 15 years. Um, you know, and it's version one of the SDK. It's been kind of the gripe of the AV programmer of, you know, we went in one year and then a year later, this part got changed. Well, now I have to go in and rewrite the whole program. Well, now there is an inroad to be able to say, you don't have to do that anymore. There's a dynamic way to do it. Now, here's the interesting part from a company standpoint. There is the sandbox within the sandbox approach, which says, we've got developers on staff who can take this SDK and really maximize it. And here's what we think is the best way to implement it. 
There's the open source option that says, we've taken a really good idea. What do you guys think? There's the manufacturer standpoint that says, here you go, do whatever you want. <laughs> and then there's, you know, again, a company like mine that says, wow, that's really cool. Um, you know, I may or may not have an application for it, but that's something that I may develop. It could even be a product, you know, and Patrick comes in and says, this is a product. This is a way for me to get to this thing and dumb down the controller. So I don't even have to worry about it anymore. So that's the exciting part for me. Um, it's that opening up. It, it, it is that digital divide is finally growing at this point. And, and, you know, you can either be completely freaked out over it or you can be completely excited over it. And that that depends on how you view your business. And honestly, like I've said before, if, if you're not excited about it, get out just, just, <laughs> it, it, because you're not going to be in business. Um, it's changing too quick. Um, and it's just as important to pick who you partner with um, as what you're going to sell. Things like this tend to be scary in the beginning, but I really think that in the long term, it just it grows the market and provides so many opportunities. I I I, I couldn't agree more. And and I, uh, with that, we're on a high note, and I and I appreciate all of the optimism and enthusiasm, and I think that that's a really good thing to hear. Uh, for our future and, and the future of the industry. Um, so that that's going to do it for for our show today. And, and I think that this is a conversation that's going to continue. And I, and I see us uh, touching on it again in, in a future episode. Um, I want to thank all of you guys for being part of the show. Uh, first, uh, I'd like to thank Patrick Murray from uh, Control House Designs. Uh, thanks for being here. How can uh, people get in touch with you and your company? Thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, if you just Google control H-A-U-S, then I'll pop up. <laughs> Easy all enough. Over. Yeah. Like a little whack-a-mole. It literally pops exactly. up in the browser. <laughs> the first page is all control house. Easy enough. Uh, next, uh, Troy Morgan. Thanks for joining us. Troy from Pantech Designs. How can people reach you and learn more about Pantech and your product? PantechDesign.com. Uh, you can do that in Facebook. Twitter, or of course, it's on the web. Great. And uh, Wes, uh, thanks for being here. Hope that uh, you enjoyed your first appearance. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and, and get in touch with Adelite? It's been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, we're adelite.com, A-D-E-L-Y-T-E. And you can also find it on Google if you search Crescendo Framework. Uh, that'll come up for you as well. And that's our, our open source uh, product that, that we mentioned. And don't forget PLD Adapt. I want to make sure that if everybody's products are, are mentioned. So absolutely, uh, Troy. How can they find PLD Adapt? Um, it, it best way is to go to Pantech Design. But you know, and and actually, sorry, uh, Uncle Richie, I I gotta correct you. It's actually, it's kind of funny. It's PD Adapt. Ah, that, I am that, sorry uh, about that. Yeah. I, I stand corrected. But trick I got to do to get that uh to to get that URL. Um. But no, PD stands for Pantech Design. So pdadapt.com is where you can get directly to uh, the ADAPT framework and see a little bit more about it. Thanks, Rich. So uh, last but not least, uh, Rich, thanks for being here as always. And thanks for helping to make the conversation colorful. <laughs> uh, how can people get in touch with you and uh, learn more about your company? I'm like the John Madden of this podcast. Boom! You know, Absolutely. Start circling things. <laughs> uh, you know, you can find me on the uh, in the Twitterverse at rfragosa. Uh, you can also uh, find us here on AV Nation TV, um, and you can also find us at fragosadesign.com. Excellent. For your digital concierge needs. 
not to cut out Patrick, his his product is AV GUI. I don't know if you, you have a URL for that, but I just, just figured we might as well touch on everybody. And <laughs> Thanks, Steve. It's avgui.com, avgui.com. So I encourage everybody to check these products out, learn more about it, and, le and let's continue the conversation. Um, my name is Steve Greenblatt. Uh, you could reach me on most social media platforms at Steve Greenblatt. My company is Control Concepts, and we're at controlconcepts.net. Um, more importantly, I'd like to recommend that everybody goes and visits avnation.tv, uh, the website that contains all of the podcasts for this show and a whole bunch of other shows. Uh, there's weeklies and monthlies. And also check out the underwriters that help to make this show possible. Uh, we want to thank and support them as well. Uh, so please leave a comment, share some feedback, reach out uh, if there's any topics you want us to cover in the future. And, uh, and we, we look forward to hearing from you. So that, that'll do it for today for a state of control. Uh, thanks for being with us.